good time in uh, OKC, but uh, in terms of just coming here, man, it's just like an exciting, exciting team. Stan's an old school dude, I mean, old school guy, and I just like that, man. You know what I mean? So I feel like I can learn, learn a lot from him. Hence the extensionis. Sounds like a Harry Potter spell, man. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I am Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com and The Advocate. Coming to you today, Friday morning, with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Jeff, this week is the start of Pelicans training camp, and the people listening can't see me, but I said that uh, with some air quotes because (laughs) it's training camp, but all players have been able to do so far is individual work on the court. You know, I, I guess they're running wind sprints and getting shots up and lifting weights and you know, whatever they can do by themselves. But the Pelicans actually haven't been able to to practice as a group. Uh, the first team practice is going to be Sunday. So basically, I'm in this position of asking everybody, hey, how was your summer? And, uh, you know, how was that one-on-zero workout you've been doing this week? Yeah, what, what type of icebreakers can you do uh, over Zoom? That's what they, like, it, could you have gone to summer camp from your living room? That's kind of what I'm feeling like right now, and <laughs> it's probably what the Pelicans feel like. Uh, but yeah, it's it's weird. Like, it, it's strange because the NBA has done this like play the season during coronavirus thing before, but they also haven't because they did the bubble. So there's so many unanswered questions about how they're gonna operate uh, in in like the real world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my icebreaker is. Hey, are you ready to go through a 72 game season and travel, you know, during a pandemic? We probably won't have a vaccine until the very tail end of the season. I mean, it's it's a really good icebreaker, Jeff. It really puts people at ease. Everyone who has antibodies raise your hand. All right. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, there has been I guess a sense of apprehension understandably from these players like usually around this time on media day there is a first day of school vibe. I'm not getting very many first day of school vibes. Like everybody just looks kind of weary, uh, which I totally get. I mean, I don't know how much of that is the nature of just interviewing people over Zoom um, and not having that face-to-face contact and how much guys are kind of, you know, just a little bit concerned about trying to pull this thing off. I mean, (laughs) I'm a little bit worried. I mean, you know, know, NBA and basketball, like there's only, you know – 15 guys on a team and you get your two two-way guys too. Um, there's not like a, you know, endless wave of bodies on a team, like a football team. Like I think, you know, if two, three, four guys can't play, like, you know, what does that mean? You know? Yeah. I mean, well, it, it goes to the competitive balance thing that the saints dealt with last week, but it's, it's a little different because there's a lot more variability in positions in the NBA than there is in the NFL where they lost their quarterbacks and all of a sudden, they were not winning that game. There was literally no way they could win that game unless the Saints, you know, imploded. Uh, but that's not necessarily true with basketball, right? Like you have, even if you have a shooting guard, he can he can be the ball handler, you know. So there's a, like if you if you lose your entire point guard group, you're in trouble. But you can figure it out. But still, like you said, there's a lot fewer players to make that work. So you end up having to be in a situation where you're handing significant minutes to uh, a two way guy. Uh, that that does impact you, and it's a shortened season, so every game's a little bit more important. And still, seventy-two games is still still quite a haul. But you have to consider the fact they might not get all of them in. You know, you might have to postpone some. They're 
announcing the schedule later today. They're only announcing the first half of the schedule because they want to save the second half announcement to try to <laughs> incorporate any games that were postponed for the first half, which I think is a very smart idea. I think if the NFL had it over again, they would do it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you just don't know what to expect with so much of this stuff, especially if you end up having to take a pause in the middle of the season because there's an outbreak. What do you even do? Uh, the NFL's avoided it so far, but I think that's more luck than anything else. Yeah, one of my very early, early sort of hot takes is that Najee Marshall, the two-way player from Xavier, is going to get a little PT here and there just because the Pelicans like don't have very many true small forwards. I mean, I think Brandon Ingram is probably the only true small forward on the roster, and then you know Josh Hart, six foot five, Josh Hart is kind of your backup small forward. Um, so that's that's an early prediction from me. But can he play center? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the NBA in 2020. I mean, anything can happen. I think PJ Washington is going to play a bunch of center for the Hornets this year, and he's what six foot seven. I know Jeff Green was playing center for them for the, for the Rockets <laughs> last year. So anything anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll probably see some more micro ball, as it was called in Houston last year. I don't like that name. I need to come up with a better name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, micro ball is it was it was a little bit of a weird name. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it either. Um, but you have been able to, you know, get a little bit of the personality talking to these guys, even though you know it is through a computer. Um, Stephen Adams had his availability. Um, you know, it was the first time he talked to the media in New Orleans and. I'll just say that guy has some charisma. Like, you know, he, he said the word mate uh, probably 87 times during the 10-minute interview, and he honestly gives off some the dude qualities. Uh, I was going back and, you know, researching Stephen Adams dating back to his college days. Um, of course, he was kind of discovered in New Zealand as a teenager. Uh, he went to Pittsburgh and played under Jamie Dixon. Um, I really enjoyed this line from a profile in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette of Stephen Adams, his one year in college. Teammate Talib Zana described him as, quote, a cool guy who sometimes doesn't even know what's going on, end quote. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't scream the dude, I don't know what does. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I just, uh, there's a show called Flight of the Concords, uh, and it's about a folk parody duo in New Zealand who is the second most popular folk parody duo in New Zealand, be just behind a cover band that does their own songs better than them. And like, that's the only thing I, that's the only like basis of information I have about New Zealand. And that's, that's how I derive all my understanding of what happens there. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just a strange, such a strange uh, thing. I would like to thank all of our New Zealand listeners uh, after after the Pelicans signed Stephen Adams, the number two country we've our podcast has been downloaded in has been New Zealand, uh, followed closely by Australia, uh, which could just be Stephen Adams' immediate, immediate family. But it's uh, kind of funny to see that. And I think there is like this really kind of cult following of guys from that area uh, because the, it's just not a typical thing to see NBA players come from that part of the world. So that's kind of neat. But I also think that a lot of a lot of Pelicans fans are going to have. Uh, I don't know what they think of Steven Adams in terms of like the type of guy Steven Adams is, but I guarantee you a lot of them have never heard him talk before. And I think when they when they hear that accent coming out of that gigantic human being, it's going to be kind of a weird, uh, weird thing for them. Um, but yeah, I remember I remember as a UConn fan, I remember watching Steven Adams at Pittsburgh. And uh, the, the only real vivid memory I have of him was he got mad after a play and he like he bounced the ball real hard. And he, he 
he missed it on the way back up and it bounced over his head. And at that time in college basketball, if you, if you bounce the ball over your head, you got a technical foul. So he got a technical <laughs> foul. And I remember thinking like, why is this guy getting a technical foul? He had like a, like a, like a weird haircut at that point. He had didn't have that, like that, like, uh, uh, Aquaman, thing. Aquaman look going on, <laughs> and uh, I I did not expect him to be the type of NBA player he is, but here we are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did know what Stephen Adams sounded like. Uh, quick story: My first job out of school, I was the sports intern at the Oklahoman, and every once in a while, I would get to cover some Thunder games, which you know was a delight for me. And of course, I was terrified, like going into an NBA locker room. Uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I still only barely know what, I was, what I'm doing now. Um, but I went up to Steven Adams at this road game in Dallas. Uh, I made the like the three-hour drive for that one. I was like, hey, Steven, do you have a second? And he just looked at me. He's like, got a lot of seconds, mate. And I was like, man, <laughs> this guy's great. <laughs> so I kind of knew what to expect. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, everything Steven has said since has kind of fit into those expectations. There's kind of this duality to him. I mean, on the court – you know, I've, I've written about in 2019, I mean, in the anonymous poll of NBA general managers, they voted him the toughest player in the entire league. I mean, I think that's entirely valid. Like the guy is a warrior on the court. There are like YouTube compilations of him just flattening people on screens. One of the game's best offensive rebounders. Like it's funny. Anytime uh, you cover a team, they play the Thunder. A couple of people in the locker room always like talk about just how strong and how much of just a freaking redwood tree Steven Adams is. And yet, you know, off the court, he does have this sensitive side. Like there is this emotional IQ. So I think he is a really interesting guy. Um, And kind of to your point earlier, Jeff, my half-assed attempt to learn more about New Zealand, (laughs) I watched the movie Boy uh, on YouTube. I I rented it for like four bucks. It's from a New Zealand director. uh, I hope I don't butcher his name. Taika Waititi. Um, yeah. I think he's the same guy that directed Jojo Rabbit, right? <laughs> well, I think he's he's known for a few other things than, than okay. Jojo. He di- he directed the uh, the most recent Thor movie. Oh, okay. Ragnarok, I want to say, and he's also one of the directors on the Mandalorian now. Uh, he does a lot of Marvel stuff, and uh, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. But boy, it was really good. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I would I would highly recommend. I I feel like I should have known more about uh, <laughs> Taika. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, no, he's 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 really good. <laughs> he yeah. was actually in. Uh, he was a voice actor in that Thor movie. Uh, he's one of the characters in the End Game, obviously, because those characters came back. But yeah. there's just a huge hole in my like pop cultural um, I don't know, knowledge when it comes to like the Marvel movies. I'm just uh, like real big into like the superhero thing. I have you know no criticism. I just. It's just a hole that I have, so I apologize. <laughs> well, a hole that I had was actually being able to point to New Zealand on a map, which I can proudly say <laughs> I can do now. Uh, there's always a there's so there's been a few times that there's been like stories written about how uh, like globes have left them off, which really? is always yeah. Was, I think it was last week tonight that did a that did a piece on it. Like they're just this little tiny like island chain, or is it an island chain? Say, Marty, like showing my ignorance. I know it's an island nation. Uh, like near Australia, and like there are globes out there that just like forget that that it's there, and just don't have it, and they get mad every time because it's like we do exist. But yeah, New Zealand, New New Zealand. Yeah, I talked to uh, Jamie Dixon for a story I'll have you know coming out um, probably pretty soon. 
Um, Jamie Dixon, you know, was Stephen Adams' coach at Pittsburgh. He coaches at TCU now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of heard about Stephen Adams when he was 15, 16 years old through a friend that he had in New Zealand. Uh, Jamie Dixon actually played there for a couple years professionally when he didn't latch on in the NBA. And, you know, he said it's the most beautiful place on earth. So, you know, the few people that I know who have spent time there have, you know, universal praise for New Zealand. So it sounds like a beautiful place. Lord of the Rings was filmed there. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. That's, I'm just lobbying the New Zealand trivia at you now. But yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Like that's, if you've ever watched Lord of the Rings, uh, that's a pretty good example of like just how ridiculously gorgeous that, uh, that, whole, <laughs> that whole part of the world is if you can go there. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about big ball, not micro ball, because the Pelicans – are Large not ball. playing micro ball this year. They are zigging when the less the rest of the league is zagging. They are zagging when the rest of the league is zigging. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see this play out. Um, you know, this has been kind of a polarizing topic among Pelicans fans, and I can understand why. Um, I mean, you know, you, you just have to be able to knock down threes and, and, and shoot a lot of them. Um, if you're going to be successful in the NBA today, um, you know, the Pelicans were a really good three point shooting team last year. They were seventh in three point attempts and seventh in three point percentage. Um, you know, if you want to optimize Zion Williamson on the offensive end, like, yes, I, I think obviously it's fair to say that like you want to put four shooters around him and just let him absolutely wreck people inside which he pretty much, he proved he could do last year, but I still like the move to pair to put Steven Adams on this roster, and I think a lot of that is to do with where the Pelicans are kind of in their life cycle. Like if the Pelicans, you know, were like four, five, six years into Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, I don't think I would have liked this move at all because at that point, you know, you want them to be making deep playoff runs, like. I think where they are right now, like they're just learning how to win in the regular season. And like, they're just trying to get to the playoffs and you're bringing in Steven Adams to just be this bridge guy. Like David Griffin has made a point of saying that, you know, we want Steven Adams for his leadership and what he can bring to the locker room and teaching the young guys good habits as much as what he's able to do on the court. And I think I mostly buy that. I mean, I, I like Steven Adams as the bridge player. I mean, not necessarily like the player you want to put next to Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram to make deep playoff runs and like try to compete. But for where the Pelicans are right now, I kind of think it makes sense. Yeah. And I think you make a good point, which is yeah, the, the idea that you need to create this kind of analytically perfect roster makes sense. If you're trying to win a title, uh, if you think you have a serious chance to win a title, in this case, you're trying to build a culture. You're trying to, you know, see what you have in young players and put them in situations to succeed. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think the Pelicans will benefit from not constantly being in situations where they have to have Zion, like bang his head against, uh, a giant center every night and, you know, be able to work into, into situations that he can expand his game. Uh, whereas last year it felt like there was one strategy for Zion, which was go downhill and, (laughs) and see if they can slow you down. Um, there's obviously, they're going to run in, they're inevitably going to run into issues with that big ball lineup. And that's the reason you try to avoid it. Um, it's just a matter of how well they, how well they adjust to it. And I think a big part of that's going to be how does Zion expand his offensive 
repertoire because they're going to be fine on the defensive end. Uh, like, how does he expand, you know, his offensive arsenal this season to kind of to limit some of those issues you're going to have in terms of spacing? You know, can he just become not a good shooter, but a, a shooter you have to at least pay attention to? Because um, I think that alone will will completely change the dynamic um, of how defenses have to play the Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at, you know, how Zion was used his first year in the NBA as opposed to how he was used in that, that one season at Duke, there were a lot more post-ups. Like, he was kind of, you know, really, I don't want to say reduced because, like, he was really good and it was effective, but, like, they used him as, like, a five. I mean, it was just dump the ball into him and let him back down or dump the ball into him and let him face up from, like, six feet away from the basket and take one dribble and try to score. He was not getting the ball on the move a lot, which was kind of something we saw in the preseason. You know, he was not starting his attack from behind the three-point line um, and then getting inside a whole lot. It was just kind of dump it in, dump it in, dump it in. Um, And, you know, I think part of that was a function of, like, trying to reincorporate him on the fly. Like, a lot of the stuff that relied on, you know, timing, it it was hard to recapture that. Um, you know, halfway through the season when they desperately needed to win games. Um, I think part of it, honestly, had to do with just the shape he was in. Um, you know, he got easily winded, and I don't know if the Pelicans, like, wanted to overtax him or anything like that. Like, I can tell you that the coaching staff really encouraged him to, like, when you get a defensive rebound, like, we want you to push the ball and, like, lead the fast break. And, I just don't think he got that many defensive rebounds. Like he was a great offensive rebounder, but like, I just don't know if he was in the shape he needed to be in to like, you know, see even close to what a fully realized version of Zion is. Um, So, you know, when David Griffin says like, Oh, we envision Zion playing some three. um, I wouldn't overreact to that. I mean, to me, what that means is like, he's going to, you know, get the ball on the move a lot more. He's going to start his attack from the perimeter. Um, All of that makes sense. Like, I think he's capable of those things. He's going to push the ball ahead when he gets a defensive rebound. Um, And then where I guess I'm interested in is, like, can he he guard small forwards? Um, Because the Duke version of him, I would say, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think that's much of a problem. Like, this guy is a monster at generating blocks and steals. Like, the come-out-of-nowhere factor I mean, no one is better than that than that at him. He can slide his feet on the perimeter a little bit. At the NBA level, I mean, I don't think any of those things were true so far. Like, he, he just looked lost, kind of stuck in quicksand. Defense is really hard for rookies. But, yeah, I'll be interested to see how the Zion playing the, playing the three thing. Like, I, I don't really worry about that offensively, but how does that worry? How does that work defensively, I would say? No, yeah, I mean, so... The thing about the Pelicans' defense is you don't really know what to expect at all from them in this transition because last year they played poor defense a majority of the time and they had kind of stretches where they where they competed well. Um, but for, for the larger part of the season, they were a, a, a minus defensive unit. Uh, and they kind of tried to make up for that. Alvin Gentry's system was basically predicated on making up for that by... Uh, getting as many possessions as possible. Uh, you're not worried about efficient offense when you're getting 10 extra possessions a game because you can make up for the scoring with uh, quick transition back buckets. And you have a bit more wiggle room in terms of your defensive efficiency. Now, in Stan Van Gundy's system that 
you know, maybe he will run an up pace system, an up tempo system, but I, I doubt it. Uh, you, those defensive possessions are going to be more uh, valuable. They're going to be more. This game's going to be more compressed. You're not going to get as many possessions in a game, so you can't afford those kind of defensive breakdowns that are more about understanding than skill. Um, last year, I think a lot of the issue with Zion was it, it, he w- was lacking both understanding and fitness, which made it so he didn't have <laughs> the skill or the ability to play good defense and. Um, I, and a lot of times he wasn't even on the defensive bus to even get a rebound. He was leaking out on the fast break. And that's how you saw him get those run out dunks off of, uh, made baskets all the time. Uh, and, uh, and that's something that it didn't really, it didn't really show you anything from a basketball perspective. You already knew he could run and leap and dunk and you already knew Lonzo could throw those full court passes. Uh, the question is, can he play fundamental basketball? Um, and th- that's something that you're going to have to see this year, because like we said before, the offense is not going to have, it'll be hard to see an offense that's as explosive, uh, with the big hulking lineup in there. Yeah. So I think, you know, just the discussion about, um, you know, how fast do the Pelicans play this year and kind of how does that relate to defense is a really interesting one. Um, it's been cool. You know, just getting to hear Stan Van Gundy drop some knowledge, like it feels like I'm taking a college course about basketball or something. I mean, the guy is just, I mean, really intelligent about the game, obviously, and he's, I think, you know, he's great at articulating it. He made the point that, you know, so like all the teams he's coached, I think they've all been bottom 10 in pace. And, you know, he said that, look, I'm not a guy who's like a run and gun coach, but I think that you know, we might have played faster than you expect in certain cases. And that's because Stan Gundy's defense is like, you know, he really stresses defense and he doesn't emphasize like creating turnovers. Like he just kind of teaches being solid on the defensive end. And like when you're, you know, when you're defending for like 18 seconds, every possession, like, of course you're going to play a slower pace. Um, So, you know, I think the Pelicans will try to run opportunistically this year. But like they were fourth in pace last year, I mean I would be I would be shocked if they're in the top five again. I mean I don't know maybe between the ten and fifteen range would be my prediction. But it's pretty clear early on that there is just this emphasis on like we're going to play defense and in fact we're going to even try to win with defense. I mean it kind of made me raise my eyebrows a little bit when David Griffin said hopefully we're going to hang our hat on defense this year. How crazy do you think it drives Alvin Gentry when he hears the stat that there were three teams that played at a faster pace than the Pelicans? <laughs> like yeah. that's that's why we didn't win. If we were number one, no. Uh, yeah, I I don't know, and I think in terms of Zion, it's so tough to know what to expect from him because you want to pin a lot of it on on just being out of shape and, and really having a tough time getting into the rhythm of things with the injuries. But, you know, until you see it happen without that kind of caveat, it's tough to say whether he can be a good NBA defender or, you know, I think he, I don't know if that's the way to put it. I think he can be a good NBA defender. It's tough to say whether he is a good NBA defender um, now, or at least a competent one. Because like, will he points, be one this year? <laughs> right, because there were points last year that, I was, I didn't know what I was looking at in terms of like where he was 
trying to be on defense. <laughs> he just seems so lost in the scheme of things. And maybe the pace played into that. Maybe uh, Alvin Gentry's, uh, I don't want to say denial of, de- of defense <laughs> is the word, but just, you know, it de-emphasized uh, defensive schemes played there you into go. that. Nice euphemism. Uh, so I, I, I really don't know. I mean, if you just look at the starting five, they're going to roll out an opening night, um, you know, health willing. Uh, Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Steven Adams. Like, I look at that and say, well, I think three of your five starters, like, I consider them plus defenders. And, you know, defense at the NBA level, like, it's not, you know, you can have good individual defenders, but, like, it's so much about what you do as a team. Um, But, like, I think, you know, there's certainly, like, a pathway for them to being an above-average defense. Like, Eric Bledsoe, I mean, that guy can defend. I mean, he's made two all-defensive teams already. I mean, Milwaukee was... You know, number one back-to-back years. A lot of that was, you know, they had Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez and, like, could just, uh, to paraphrase Stan Van Gundy, form an effing wall at the basket, and, like, it was impossible to score them inside. But Eric Bledsoe can defend. I mean, he's played on good defenses. You know, Steven Adams uh, is not, like, you know, the shot-blocking wonder, but he's just a smart defender. Like, he's going to rebound for you. Um, you know, he, he just prevents shots at the rim. Um, Lonzo Ball's a guy with good defensive instincts. Like, to me, this thing kind of comes down to how well and how much are Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson going to commit on that end this year? Because I just I just don't know if it's even possible to, like, have a good defense when, you know, your starting three and your starting four really struggle on, on that end. And that was the case last year, frankly. I mean, we just – we need to see strides from those guys on the defensive end, it's, you know, especially Brandon Ingram, um, who you know, is a player I'm a big fan of. Um, but when you're kind of the max guy and everybody's looking at you a little more for leadership, like you got to play both ends. I, I would add Lonzo Ball to that, um, to that as well. I mean, because you're talking about a guy who he ha- he has this reputation of being a good defender and being and having those good instincts. You didn't see that a lot of time last year. Um, and again, you know, that could be system-based. He, he didn't have the type of defensive impact I was expecting. Um, and that's going to be even more pronounced this year without Drew Holiday, uh, who made up for a lot of the defensive uh, uh, deficiencies on the perimeter um, on his own. So unless, it's really going to be a question of, A, do they, you know, who gets the minutes? Is it Eric Bledsoe? Is it Lonzo Ball? Uh, I think it's going to be Lonzo Ball because they, they're, he's in the final year of a contract, at least to start. Because you need to see what you have in him. You need to give him the chance to thrive. Um, but, you know, if, and if it's Eric Butsoe, I think you have a more consistent defender. And uh, there's just more questions about the offensive side of that equation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, that criticism of Lonzo, like, there's, there's some validity to that for sure. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing you can say about him last year is, he just kind of floated through games at times. Um, you know, there was just, you know, too many stretches where he just seemed kind of passive and, like, let the game happen to him instead of, you know, him happening to the game. Um, you know, when we saw that stretch from, like, late December to the middle of March before the season got shut down, his fingerprints were all over the game, and that was the best basketball the Pelicans played last season. You know, Lonzo has said that 
kind of as I went, the team also went, um, which I thought was really self-aware and I, I thought was true. Um, so I hope we see a little more consistency from Lonzo Ball this season. Um, we chatted with him Thursday. Um, you know, he made the point that this was the longest offseason he's had in his career. Um, it's probably, you know, it probably hasn't been talked about enough, but like he's a guy who has been really hampered by injuries throughout the first three years of his career. I mean, I believe his game totals in LA was like 47 his rookie year, 51 his second season. You know, last year he dealt with the adductor thing really early in the year. I think that cost him five or six games, but you know, people behind the scenes said that that kind of bothered him for a while. So I'm interested to see what a really motivated and presumably healthy Lonzo Ball looks like for an entire season. Like, we just need to see him put together a good season from start to finish. I mean, I think that's the main thing. Like, we just haven't seen that yet. And, I mean, I like Lonzo Ball as a player. Like, he's so polarizing that, like, I try not to talk about him at the Internet because you always have somebody pissed off at you if you type Lonzo Ball's name into Twitter. Um, But, I mean, I just want to see a good season from start to finish from him. Uh, Jameis Winston is a very similar guy in that if you, if you criticize Jameis Winston on Twitter, you will get, uh, you will get, you will get an avalanche of, <laughs> from the Jameis hive, but, uh, Jameis has got a hive. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which I did not realize until he got here. <laughs> he has a, he has quite a devoted following. Um, they love those touchdown passes. <laughs> they don't watch the interceptions. Uh, anyway. Is that a, is that a Florida based hive? That, 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 yeah, I guess so, because he went to Florida State. So it's yeah. the opposite. Yeah, Lonzo has the West Coast. Jameis has the East Coast. Um, <laughs> what were we talking about? Uh, but yeah, yeah, Lonzo, it's, it's, it, I think a lot of times when it comes to injuries, it's easy to lose track of the fact that you know injuries can pile up and they can have a real big impact on your season, whether, you real, whether it seems like it should or not. Wow, Zion last year is a good example where he, he didn't have like a major reconstructive injury like you see with uh, DeMarcus Cousins, Clay Thompson, uh, John Wall, where they miss entire seasons. And it's like, yeah, of course they're going to have a hard time getting back because they had to do rehab and they had to have a surgeon go in and rebuild their entire knee. That it hasn't really happened to Lonzo Ball, but it's just, it, it, it wears on you after a while. If you're not in shape and you, you're constantly re-injuring yourself, and that can affect the way you play. Uh, so I, I think that's a good point when you, when you watch a guy who just seems to just have these injuries pile up and you don't always know what's going on. But... Maybe 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 his time as what you call it has helped him gain perspective. From doing what? <laughs> the the mass singer. Ah, from his I, time. I was trying to work. A... I was trying to work what you call it in there. I was too tired. So oh, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. His character on the mass singer was literally called what you call it. <laughs> I thought you were just saying what you call it. Okay. I was okay. trying to, and uh, but I couldn't <laughs> figure out a way. <laughs> so I just I just uh. lobbed it in there as a softball and and. Uh, it, it like went 12 feet to the left. Yeah. That was a shocking off season revelation. I mean, I, yeah, I, I didn't came see during the draft. We didn't yeah. find <laughs> like that's yeah. when talk we about a news dump. <laughs> that really kind of, that really kind of veered, veered right at the last second, didn't it? Yeah. 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 The last thing I'll say about Lonzo ball, um, you know, a lot of people I talk to in the league still are optimistic that, he's going to be able to figure it out, even though he hasn't put it together for an entire season. Um, And, you know, they kind of point to two things. I mean, he's really big for a point guard, uh, six foot six, that, that size I think is going to allow him to guard 
a lot of different types of players. And he's just a smart player. I mean, the basketball IQ is apparent. He's probably the best player in the NBA at throwing those hit-ahead passes. Um, I think he can fit next to a lot of different types of guys. Um, And, you know, what Stan Van Gundy said in his introductory presser is, look, like smart players eventually figure it out. Like he pointed to J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick was, you know, kind of a a bench player in his early days in Orlando. Um, And, you know, he really kind of established himself as one of the best role players in the NBA. Um, He's still really good after a decade and a half in. Um, I think that's true. I guess my question is, you know, J.J. Redick is also an elite competitor. Like, I think one of the best competitors in the NBA. I mean, he was like the only guy fighting in that that last game against the Spurs that, like, was basically the elimination game for the Pelicans in the bubble. Um, What is Lonzo Ball as a competitor? Like, does he have that fight, that dog, that drive in him that you see in a guy like J.J. Redick, for example? One of the things I wonder about, you know, will will having Lamelo in the NBA help Lonzo kind of get get an edge? I almost I wonder that. I think that they're very competitive in terms of like that brother, uh, that brother on brother like who's better <laughs> dynamic, <laughs> and uh, I think that that might be something that <laughs> drives him a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I just think that do they? They it'll be interesting to see when they play the Hornets because uh, there's a joke that Michael Jordan might cut Lamelo just to prove yeah. a point that he could beat LeVar. But, you know, I think that's going to be, it's kind of a different dynamic than like the holiday brothers. <laughs> they kind of just like this, like it's like a family uh, dinner almost when they play each other. I think uh, when Lonzo and the Melo play each other, they'll be going at each other. But that's kind of just a, an aside. Yeah, three ball brothers in the NBA right now. Uh, LiAngelo Ball just signed with Detroit. Um, I, I believe it was a non-guaranteed deal, so we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, LeVar did it. He spoke it into existence. Haters? Three ball. Haters. I said haters with a Z. Uh, there's a, lot, a couple of Zs on there. Uh, but no, I think that's really cool. I think that's really cool. I mean, that uh, that story I did on that the Chino Hills team that won 35-0, and 0, um, had the Ball brothers, had Onyeka Kongu, was one of my favorite things I've gotten to do this year. Uh, I would not have wanted to play those guys because they would have just tried to embarrass you and, and make you look silly. So And they would have. Yep. Yep. Okay, before we get out of here, let's uh let's talk about some of these prop bets that came out. These are I guess courtesy of Bet Online. Um, I wanted to just go down this list and I wanted you to give me your gut reaction um, over or under. First on the list, Eric Bledsoe, 15 and a half points per game, five and a half assists per game. Uh, what say you? I can see the points. I don't see any scenario where, unless, unless Lonzo Ball gets hurt, that Eric Bledsoe averages more than five assists a game. It just doesn't seem like the way they're going to want to use him. Uh, I think he's going to be a scorer when he's on the floor. Um, at least the majority of the time he's on the floor. And he just doesn't – he's, he's a slasher. I think that's how they're going to want to use him. Like, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see him being the facilitator. <laughs> like, that's uh, going to get six, seven assists a game. Yeah, um, I think – 
I would take the over on points. I would take the under on assist. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, I, I just don't think, you know, he's like, Lonzo Ball is going to be handling the ball in all like full court transition situations. Um, Lonzo will still be that kind of connector guy in the half court. Um, one of my predictions is that I think we're going to get, we're going to see some like, oh, you know what? Eric Bledsoe is like, he's pretty good, um, you know, storylines this season from the media because like Eric Bledsoe, he clearly has his limitations in the postseason, but like he's just a proven regular season player. So like, I think, you know, we might get some like, you know, this guy's like not that bad. And, you know, maybe our, our, our vision was clouded by his playoff failures a little bit. So I think he's actually going to look pretty good in the system. I mean, I think he's just going to defend. So yeah, give me, give me the over on points lightly and the under on assist. Um, next up on the list, Steven Adams, 11 and a half points per game, 8.5 rebounds per game. What do you think? Uh, I think he averages a double, double. I am not comfortable taking the over at 11 and a half. Um, but I think I take the over on rebounds for sure. He's just going to, he's going to play himself in the paint. <laughs> you know, he's going to, and, uh, you know, him, he and Zion are just going to play like patty cake with the. On the offensive glass all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Patty cake. I like yeah. that. It's like I, I, I could see him getting three offensive rebounds on one possession. Uh, so I, I think rebounds is going to be uh, good drafting for fantasy basketball. I think he's a guy that I would I would go after. I think Steven Adams is going to gobble up a lot of rebounds this year. I would take the over on rebounds. I would take the under on points. Um, it's funny if you look at, um, Steven Adams, like defensive rebounding numbers on cleaning the glass, like the percentage of opponents misses he got went up significantly last year, as opposed to the first six seasons of his career. Jeff, do you know what changed between the first six seasons of Steven Adams career and, and last season? His hair got longer. <laughs> uh, yeah, his hair did get longer, but he was also not playing to wrestle Westbrook anymore. Uh, uh, a noted uh, stat patter, shall we say, and like rebound thief. Yeah, <laughs> rebound thief. There was just a lot of times where like Stephen Adams was, you know, blocking like two dudes out, and the lane lane was clear, and Russell Westbrook just like leaped in it's from the elbow and just like <laughs> gimme. Yeah. So there won't be. Uh, I don't know. Maybe like Lonzo Ball does that a little bit, but like that's probably a good thing because he can lead the break. But, uh, yeah, there won't be as many people stealing his rebounds, I think. Um, one other Stephen Adams tidbit. I saw a stat going around of, like, in the last five years, Stephen Adams has led the NBA in rebounds off of um, his own team's missed free throws by, like, 30 or 40, which is pretty mind-boggling and makes sense. He's the best guy in the NBA at uh, rebounding his own team's so missed like free throws. Offensive rebounds off free throws. That he didn't shoot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like Russell it's, Westbrook, you know, misses a free throw and Stephen Adams just like barrels through two guys and grabs it. It's a weird thing to try to to try to put into simple terms, but I understand what you're saying. It does make sense. I think Zion Williamson is pretty good at that as well. I, I don't know if you've seen it a lot from him, but just when you're when you're kind of an anchor and they can't move you, I mean, anyone who's played basketball can, can can relate to that, which is like when you when you're kind of trying to box a guy out and you just can't move him in the paint. And he's seven feet tall. Like that's uh, if the ball bounces the right way, he's gonna get it. Um, so yeah, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, I, I enjoyed. Uh, there was a tweet that was like Zion Williamson, Stephen Adams setting screens next year, and it was just like uh, a schoolyard kid 
um, making a pass and then running into a pole. And like, I think Cinderius Thornwell quote tweeted and was like, you know, facts or something like that. So I imagine that's how it's going to go. You know, it might not be uh, the most aesthetically pleasing at times, but they will not be fun to play against. That's my prediction. Um, okay. Zion Williamson. This one I think is interesting. 25 and a half points per game. Wow. And 8.5 rebounds. Yeah, I don't know where to go on this. I'd like to take the over on points, but I think I don't know how you can. Um, just because it's gonna be there's gonna be fewer possessions in the game, um, and he's not always gonna have a clear lane to the basket the way he did uh, last year. So I I would take the under on points. I think he's gonna get close to 25, but I would take the under, uh, and then rebounds. I I would take the under on both of these to be honest. Okay. So last season, Zion averaged 22.5 points in about 28 minutes per game. So what this one, you know, I guess screams to me is how much do you think Zion Williamson is going to play? Like how many minutes per game do you think he's going to get this year? Like do you think it's going to be more than the 28 minutes per game he got last year? Because it's it's hard to me to envision him scoring like more points per minute than he did last year. Like he was already – unbelievably efficient. I mean, I think there's just going to have to be an uptick in minutes. And I don't know. I mean, I I have a hard time seeing the Pelicans, like, you know, throwing him out there for like 34 minutes every night, frankly. Like, I think they're going to, you know, kind of keep his shifts on the shorter side. Like, if I had to make a prediction, like, I don't know, maybe around 30 to 32 minutes per game. I think I would take the under slightly on points, um, just barely, um, although it is really intriguing. Um, and I think I would take the under slightly on rebounds. Um, you know, this question basically was like, who do you think is going to be the Pelicans leading scorer this right. year? Because Brandon Ingram was also at 25 and a half exactly. points per game as well. <laughs> is that just the, that's just the NBA number for the leading scorer, whoever the leading scorer in the yeah. team averages 25, 25. And I mean, it's, it's also like, they're not going to score as many points as they did last year, as I said before. And so this, these two in a row are basically positing the idea that the Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, if they average 100 points, which is probably low on the low side, they, they average half the team's points, give or take. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but like the fact is, though, both those guys are going to need to get – you're going to have to get Brandon Ingram shots. So even if Zion Williamson, who – you know, I think he's going to have to take, he's going to take down inefficiency somewhat because I think not only was he insanely efficient, he was impossibly efficient last year. Um, and so that's going to come down to still to an insane level, but to a level that's like humanly possible to sustain. And, you know, even at 22 points per game, that's still a very, very, very productive offensive output for a guy who has a limited offensive skill set. Um, beyond what his what he's kind of uh, naturally able to do. Yeah, I mean, I think like the amazing thing about Zion is like the efficiency he's had at Duke and in the NBA when like the spacing has not been ideal for his skill set. Like Duke, they couldn't shoot threes in that team, and he was still out there making like seven out of every ten shots. Like they're a horrible three point shooting team. The Pelicans last year, you know, started him next to Derek Favors. 
um, who's not you know, obviously a perimeter threat this year. Gonna they're gonna throw him out next to Stephen Adams. Like Zion Williamson is one of those guys who's like gonna be incredibly efficient regardless of circumstance. I think like he's just kind of one of those guys who can transcend like uh, fit to a certain degree. Um, I think I would actually pick him to be the team's leading scorer this year, just slightly over Brandon Ingram. Um, I mean, I, look, Brandon Ingram, I think he's going to have a good year, but I'm interested to see. I mean, a lot of what he did last year came as like the four. Um, there was a lot of, you know, there was a good de- deal of spacing, like when he was playing really well right before Zion Williamson right. came back. Um, so I think I would pick Zion, you know, to lead the team in scoring, but not go over 25 and a half. Um, so I would take, you know, for Brandon, probably the under, um, and so you're, 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 you're going big on the under for Brandon Ingram then if you if you're going under on Zion and under on Ingram, so you should put your money on Ingram. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, Ingram was at what, like 23 and 23.8 last year. I mean, yeah. I would, I would envision him like being right around that mark this year. Yeah. And, and in, in a lot of situations where he was the go-to guy, um, that really kind of buoyed that higher than I think if you, I haven't looked, but I guarantee if you looked in the games that he played alongside Zion, it was a much lower number. Um, the jazz game is the one that sticks out with 38 points. Uh, I want to say that was his high for the season. And then obviously then Zion, um, so. It was 49 against the Jazz. He was, was one, away f- one away from That's a 50 right. piece. Uh, he just needed one of those free throws to go, and it didn't. That was the overtime Gosh game? darn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, last one on our list Lonzo Ball, 11.5 points per game, 6.5 assists, 5.5 rebounds. This from a man who said yesterday his goal is to go out and get a triple double every night. Um, I, I, I will say this about Lonzo. Like, I like his. Even in like a, a crucial contract year, well, it's probably going to be a crucial contract year for him unless he and the Pelicans come to an agreement on an extension before December twenty first. Like he's just a guy who's going to play his game. Like I don't ever think he's a guy who's going to try to do too much. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how his numbers look um, in a standing gun the offense. I mean, I'm taking the over on the assists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's no scenario where he doesn't with, with Stephen with with two guys that he can throw lobs to all the time. Uh, there's just no way that he ends up with with below nine. He might not average double digits, but he's getting he's going to be in the top ten assists in the NBA if he gets enough minutes. So that's the question: is does he get the minutes, or does he kind of does he have a really rough start to the season like he did last year, and then kind of falls out of the rotation? Does Stan not give him the type of leash that Alvin did? Um, if he's struggling, I don't know. Uh, that's that's the scenario that with you, with Eric Bledsoe, they're a guy, a veteran that you, you might be able to lean on, uh, you know, maybe. But he's he's gonna get assists. <laughs> yeah, that is not a question. Yeah, I agree. I mean, give me give me the over on all three on uh, potential contract here, Alonso. Uh, I think, yeah, we'll see some really nice production for him. You know, trying to play for a new deal. Um, this year is going to be interesting. Um, you know, the Pelicans, the Pelicans are zagging, baby. Uh, at a time when, you know, teams are shooting 1 million three-pointers a game. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting experiment. I think they're going to play a, a distinct style of basketball for sure. 
Uh, I would not want to be like P.J. Tucker this year having to go up against the Pelicans. I would not want to have to be P.J. Washington or any like five who's like six foot seven or six foot eight. I don't think that's going to be a fun game for them. Nope. You, you don't want to be Jeff Green at center against Steven Adams? <laughs> Hell no. Like, like the Pelicans might not win that game, but the Rockets won't leave it feeling like they won. <laughs> I guess that's going to be they're going to leave people uh, battered and bruised uh, this season and uh, that's something to, that's something to <laughs> to be proud of I guess I think that was a great way of putting it um, alright well we appreciate you guys listening this week um, subscribe on Apple and Spotify leave a 5 star review leave a comment um, we'll only be ramping up in the next few weeks we've got the first preseason games in 10 days now holy crap Uh, The season opener, about three weeks away. Uh, It should be really fun. Peace out.